أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وحبيبنا رسول الله وعلى آله وصحابته ومن والاه الحمد لله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Last week الحمد لله we I mentioned uh, towards the end of the podcast that I wanted to talk about the the, the trouble with the eye and one of the things about the current time that we're living in is that it's it, we're in an age of images so everything is images now there's everywhere you look there's pictures there's images i i read uh, in an article that the the average person today sees more images in one day than somebody 200 years ago saw in their entire lifetime and if you think about just scrolling people scrolling through and looking at all these images uh, one of the things that the ancients really knew is that the images that they don't go away. They're actually retained in, in, in you. And so you might, right now you can close your eyes and actually see things that you saw years ago. Uh, especially powerful images uh, have a lasting impact because they're almost like they're etched on the, the soul. And that's why trauma is so difficult because one of the things that when people sleep, when they go to sleep at night, um, they have this rapid eye movement. They call it REM sleep. And that's that rapid eye movement is like the eye erasing what it saw throughout the day, all the images, and 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 what happens with trauma is that it, it's it's etched in. It's not like most of the things that happen in our life. It's like writing on a chalkboard. It's easy to erase it, but those traumatic events in our lifetime they're like chiseled in stone, and so it becomes much more difficult to get those. And that's why people have recurring dreams uh, when they've had trauma. Uh, they close their eyes and they relive the trauma that they experienced. Uh, seeing things uh, is, is really, really has a powerful effect on people. And I don't think people realize that a lot of the sickness that we have going on is, has to do with what, what's going in to them. Because whatever you put in is going to affect you. The, the heart is going to be affected by it. And in fact, uh, years ago at the Reviving the Islamic um, Spirit in Toronto, uh, years ago at the Reviving the Islamic Spirit in Toronto, I did a, an event with Pamela Paul, which was called The Rape of the Heart, which was about pornography and the effects of pornography on people. And that came from, I, I had not known the extent of, I was gone for a long time overseas, and when I came back, I did not know the extent of the pervasiveness of pornography in the culture. Uh, pornography has been around. You can, in Pompeii, if you go to Rome, Rome there, there's a seaside resort uh, of the ancient Romans called Pompeii, and that was basically the Las Vegas of ancient Rome. It's where they went to literally just... Do what stay what happens in Pompeii stays in Pompeii. That's where the Romans went to do their facade. One of the things about that place is that they actually they worshipped the phallus. So houses had like a phallus, and they had there's there's a museum you can go there now. I mean I wouldn't recommend it, but you can go there now, and it's all the murals that were in the homes of these wealthy uh, Pompeians, and it's all pornography. I mean literally pornography. And so they covered their walls in pornography. And it's very interesting that they're literally, you can see the people, they're, they're covered in, in this, 
volcanic ash and they're there like literally and a lot of them are in prostration because it came so fast and it just destroyed them and Pompeii to me is a real sign it's just a sign for people you can believe or not believe that's people's prerogative but for those of us who who actually believe that there is there are consequences to, to our actions Pompeii is a sign of God so they were a pornographic culture Pompeii and when, when a culture becomes pornographic, and by that, porne in, in Greek means prostitute, and graphis means writing. So pornography is the writing of people that sell themselves for, uh, for sex. And so uh, gigolo or prostitute, I mean, it's a man or a woman, because in, in, in this culture, there's equal, it's all equal opportunity facade. So... They don't, back in the 60s when I was young, they, they, um, the feminists were complaining about the, uh, you know, billboards where they sexualized women and sold things. So the advertisers said, you're right. So now they sexualize the men too. So now you see the Calvin Klein, you know, underwear ads and things like this. And this is, instead of just recognizing these things aren't healthy for people, no, let's just sexualize the whole atmosphere. So the culture is becoming increasingly sexualized. And young people are exposed uh, early and earlier to uh, sexuality. And this is why uh, people that are on the internet, they're going to eventually uh, be exposed to things. Things will pop up on the internet. Um, it's it's very dangerous place for people to wander about. So. Part of our tradition, and really all these ancient traditions, have to do with controlling the eyes and really taking control of your eyes. Because when you are looking out constantly, it's like, it's like allowing your spiritual energy to be exhausted. So you're dissipating, literally, you're dissipating spiritual energy. And by lowering the eyes, it's actually your, your, your soul is being strengthened by that. And the Prophet ﷺ told us that, that, that you will find a halawa, a sweetness in your heart by learning to control your eyes and not looking at things that are prohibited. Because there's images that you will see that you won't be able to get them out of your heart. And I know somebody who told me, he, he had watched a lot of pornography when, before he became Muslim, then he became Muslim. He told me that every time he got up to do the takbir, the images would come back to him. And that's a proof that Iblis is just working on the hearts of people. I mean, so these are, these are things that should concern our community because unfortunately, a lot of the downloads in, in, uh, for pornography in the Muslim world are some of the worst uh, in the world. I mean, we have some of the highest searches for pornography in the most, and these Google stats are available. So you can see the, the total objectification of women that takes place in this. It's so demeaning to objectify uh, the woman. But the reason that I did that is because uh, with uh, Pamela Paul, she was actually, we participated in a conference together that was at Princeton University with uh, Robert George uh, invited me uh, to this. Uh, it was the first time I met him, actually. I was uh, invited by the Witherspoon Institute as a Muslim voice about the problem of pornography. 
And um, I delivered a paper on lust because I think that's at the root of the problem. And our tradition always looks at roots of problems instead of just the symptoms. Like pornography is a symptom. The, the, the problem is, is uh, shahwa, is lust, uh, what the Arabs call shabak. I heard her speak there, and she had written a book called Pornified, which I later read. And there, but what, what really struck me, and her, her book was very interesting, but what really struck me was a, uh, a neuroscientist who gave a presentation on, on the neuroplasticity uh, and the effects of uh, pornography on the brain. And he basically showed how brains are actually rewired for people that watch a lot of pornography. Uh, and one of the things that he said, which really struck me as uh, terrifying was, he said that people that watch pornography don't realize that they're in a state of height, heightened um, stimulation. And because there are male and female images in the pornography, the brain gets rewired so that they can actually begin to have homoerotic um, uh, impulses. Um, and then another thing that Pamela Paul points out in her book is that she, she noted that many of the people that she interviewed admitted that after several years of addiction to pornography, that they would actually fall into child pornography. Because one of the things about the, the self is that the, the, the nafs, if you keep, you know, one of the things Imam al says, you know, he says, don't try to fight your appetite by giving into it. That food will only strengthen the desire of the glutton. So it gets worse and worse. It doesn't, it won't, by giving into it, you're not going to break it. You're actually going to get worse and worse. Now, that's a major problem. And so I, I did this, and, and what really troubled me was after the lecture that I gave at the RIS, all of these women came up to me as how their husbands were addicted to pornography and they didn't know what to do. And I'm thinking, this is a real problem in our community that people aren't really addressing. And this was years ago. And I don't think people realize the dangers of these things because there's what happens with sinfulness generally is people kind of go on to, if, if they're believers, they're going to go on to a kind of automatic pilot because there's a cognitive dissonance. Like they know it's wrong. And so they'll go on to a kind of automatic pilot and they'll fall into these things. And, and, and then there's this constant uh, demonic um, uh, assault, basically. I mean, it's a demonic assault. So uh, it's, I think people have to realize one, here's the single most important thing to realize is that if you are in any tribulation like this, that you can get out of it. There's nothing in this dunya uh, of sinfulness except that you can overcome it. But it takes supernatural power for people that are in the grip of something like this. And that's why you have to call on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you have to understand that the war that we have, this war between the, the, the demonic realm and between the angelic realm, 
this war, this battle that's, that's being waged constantly is, is a war of attrition that we wear down our enemy or he wears us down. It's one or the other. But if you're, if you're with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will win the battle. That the victory is promised. If you will help God, if you will help God by following the dictates that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us and doing these things, you he will help you. But this is the, the quid pro quo. You have to, if you go towards God a handspan, he will come to you, right? A, a dhira'. Shibrun dhira'. If you go by a dhira', he'll come by a ba', right? If you go walking, he comes running metaphorically. But the point is, is that Allah will do far more than what you do. But you have to make that effort. So what I wanted to do, a couple of things. One, I want to look at something, because years ago I read this very interesting um, essay by um, Dorothy Sayers. And it, it really struck me something that she said about, um, about what, what's called luxuria in that tradition, which is lust. It's interesting that luxury comes from the word for, in Latin for lust, because it's really when people are not, when they have too much, uh, that these appetites really begin to uh, weigh heavily on them. But when people are working really hard, when they're just in bare subsistence and these things, they, they, they don't have time to think about these things. They're thinking about other things. But it's when a society becomes very um, corrupt and decadent. And look at all the advertising where they actually use the word decadent. You know, come and have a decadent weekend in Las Vegas or something like that. There used to be something, in fact, Islam, believe it or not, has something called sumptuary laws. A lot of people don't know about this, but there used to be sumptuary laws all over the world. A sumptuary law is a law that restricts certain behaviors because they're luxurious. So for instance, in Islam, men are prohibited from wearing jewelry. Because you can wear like a silver ring. In the Maliki method, it's actually khilaf al-awla. It's, it's, it's not recommended because the Prophet actually took his ring off. You know, but in any way, it, that's a khilaf issue. It's not... not you know, people can wear rings, but but the prophet prohibited men from wearing silk or wearing gold because these are extravagant behaviors. And th those are sumptuary laws. Another example of a sumptuary law is Sayyidina Umar prohibited people from eating meat every day in Medina when he was the caliph because he saw that people were starting to consume meat on a regular basis. In fact, in the Muatta of Imam Malik, there's only two hadiths about meat, and they're both negative. Despite the fact that in Al-Bukhari, there's a hadith that says meat is the sayyid of food. But the thing about a sayyid is you go to the sayyid in need. You don't go to the sayyid every day. So eating meat constantly is not a healthy thing. The, the, the Prophet Sallallahu really, if we, if we look at his, his, um, his food habits, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Arguably, we would say that he was a semi-vegetarian because he actually did not eat a lot of meat. And uh, eating a lot of meat is, is very harmful. There's a really important study that was called the China study about uh, the, the fact that um, the, the best diets are the diets that are plant-based. So 
in, in the West, you have these diets that are very, all these processed uh, foods, you know, the, the um, processed uh, carbohydrates like uh, breads and, uh, and things like that, crackers and potato chips. And people eat all of these um, empty carbohydrates, where, whereas the best sources for this are plant-based things, right? Because uh, that's the healthiest way. And there's a relationship between food and appetite. So the more... Uh, of those sumptuous foods you eat, hence the sumptuary laws, the more of those sumptuous foods you ate, the stronger your appetites get. And, and the less you eat, uh, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ recommended for young men to fast, because it will weaken that appetite. And I actually think one of the reasons why the, uh, uh, the North Africans drink um, mint in their tea because mint, if you look at one of the, uh, in the Materia Medicas, mint is something that dampens that appetite. So it actually uh, cools the appetite, the libido somewhat. Because in people that live in very hot climates can sometimes have excess heat. So these, these are all really important aspects of our religion. This idea of, of not living in luxury. And in fact, Aristotle, I mean, uh, Plato talked about in the Republic about once luxuries come in, then envy comes into a society and then people begin to fight and then civil wars start. And then like he saw luxury as the negative thing. The Spartans, if you look at the Spartans that were a, a, a belligerent, you know, they were a warlike people. The Spartans did not allow for any ornamentation in their houses. They had sumptuary laws that their materials in houses could only be made from simple instruments because they did not want their men to become effeminate and, and become weak because they needed them to protect the, you know, it was a warlike civilization. And so they were always at threat of being attacked. So you don't want these wishy-washy, uh, milk toast type of uh, men. You want strong men that'll defend their women. You know, a lot, a lot of uh, people in this culture don't realize the importance of having chivalrous men. In fact, a lot of, uh, now chivalry is seen as toxic masculinity. It's seen as a negative thing. That, but, but actually the desire to defend women and children is a fitra desire. It's not a social construct. I mean, this is one of their the favorite words out there. Everything's a social construct. For us, it's not, it's fitra. It's, not, it's Allah's construct. It's the way he's constructed the human being that men want to defend women. It's part, of, it's part of their nature. And women don't need defense when you have a highly civil society because people will not accost them or won't when, when, when people are civil. But when it breaks down, the first victims are women and children. They're the first victims. And then they wish, the Yazidi girls wish that there were chivalrous men that would protect them from these horrible people that, would, that, that drag them away into uh, sexual slavery or whatever. So it's, it's one of the things that she says about this luxuria. She says that it should be seen as a sin. You know, in other words, call it by what it is. You know, this inordinate desire. And it's important, that word, inordinate. It's, it's not a healthy desire. It's an inordinate desire. Because the desire for, um, for Allah put this natural desire in us, which is healthy, there's two fundamental desires of, the, of, of our physiology. One is a desire for food. 
which is the preservation of the individual, and the other is the desire for sex, which is the preservation of the species. And, and this is what Imam al-Ghazali says, that, that, that this is the wisdom behind these two appetites. But if they become inordinate, if they become disorderly, then they actually will destroy the, the human being. And this is what Imam al-Busiri says, uh, you know, that if you, uh, يسمي that it'll, it, it will either disgrace or destroy the human being. It's going to do one or the other when it becomes disorderly. And so she says about this uh, that up until now, and she's writing in the 1940s in this essay, she said that there was an act of alliance between religion and between Caesar. In other words, the governments who had been concerned to maintain family solidarity because what people don't realize is the devolution of property was in families. So, so it was very important for the family to be intact and you didn't want bastard children because it creates massive problems with the, uh, the inheritance laws. But once the property was now contracts and, and not family status, once you had corporations and you had all of these types, then it, it wasn't important for the family. So at that point, Caesar didn't have to rely on the family to maintain social solidarity. It was maintained through other mechanisms. So that's why the governments just started letting people do what they want because it wasn't important for them anymore to do that. And, and so that, that's a, a really big problem now because you know, they say that uh, you know, liberals care about what happens in, in the boardroom but they could care less about what happens in the bedroom. And then conservatives care about what happens in the bedroom, but they could care less about what happens in the boardroom. But both are important. Like you have to care about what happens because the bedroom is, is where the foundation of the society is maintained. You cannot, you have to take that seriously because once that fabric breaks down, the social solidarity is, is going to break down. And the Prophet ﷺ said that illegitimate children, you can't even use that word anymore, but the Prophet ﷺ said that illegitimate children will not proliferate in a society except the wrath of Allah is soon to follow. And so, and I think the wrath of Allah is the, 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 the children becoming adults because a child that doesn't know his parents is going to be an angry child. It's just, that, that's just a given. And so when you have people that don't have parents, they don't even know their parents. I mean, we, this is our religion. So we, these things are very serious to us, you know. Um, so that's, that's what she says. But then the other thing that she says, which is really important, you know, is that, um, is that, um, and what she says about that, you know, that Caesar now, because it's so much less interested about the sleeping arrangements of, of, of his citizens, like the government, and so it cynically denounced the alliance with religion in, in, in preserving that aspect. She says that that's a warning against putting one's trust in any child of man, particularly in Caesar, right? So, uh, but she, she then says that, you know, another aspect of it is that... Um, 
people fall into the sin of luxury or lust, one from a sheer exuberance of animal spirits, like they're just simply lustful people. So particularly young men have a lot of uh, animal spirit in them. And, they, and unfortunately, when, when it's not protected, uh, they dissipate themselves. And one of the things that Unwin, who wrote a book called Sex and Culture, which is an amazing study. Uh, and in that book, he, he yeah, in, in the book on sex and culture, he studies 80 cultures uh, from primitive cultures and also uh, more advanced cultures. And what he found is that any culture that unleashed um, sexual uh, promiscuity without the um, constraints of um, without the constraints of chastity and marriage was over within three generations. And this is not a religious man. He makes it very clear in the introduction that he 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 didn't have any religion. He he was looking at purely as an anthropologist, and and he was. But he does say that perhaps religions understood something about protecting it. The other thing that he noted is that cultures that, uh, that become highly sexualized, that they don't produce great literature, they don't produce great art, they don't produce... I mean, he, he said there was a direct correlation between these things and between dissipated cultures. So that's very important. So an exuberance of animal spirits is one. of, of but the second reason that she points out, right, um, is that that when you have periods of disillusionment, when philosophies are bankrupt and life appears without hope, men and women may turn to lust in sheer boredom and discontent, trying to find in it some stimulus which is not provided by the drab discomfort of their mental and physical surroundings. And, and this gets back to ennui, what the, what the, the Romans called tedium vitae, this kind of tediousness of life. And one of the beauties of our tradition is something that uh, some people have referred to as sacred monotony. In Arabic, the word for monotony is rataba, which is the same root of ratib, which is the, the ratib are the daily practices of devotion that you do every day. And so sacred monotony is coming to terms with Groundhog Day, that, that there is a sameness to every single day on our life on earth. And, and you know, like uh, T.S. Eliot says, you know, we measure our lives in, 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 in the coffee spoons, spoonfuls of coffee, you know, that there's this thing you do, these rituals that you do every single day. And what happens with sacred monotony is these become opportunities for a type of spiritual awareness where these things become meaningful. If you look, for instance, in Japan, the tea ceremony is ritualized because they're making something that is apparently mundane into something extraordinary. And this is what people that, that are aware of the amazing momentumness of each moment. I mean, look at see moment in momentousness. You know, that the mo your life is either 
momentary or it's momentous, but they're both in how you are going to live in the moment. Is that moment extraordinary or is it ordinary? If it's ordinary, you're going to get bored. If it's extraordinary, you're going to marvel. And, and Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayyid told me once, he said, you know, that sages and children, you know, he said, Al-Hakim wal-Walad, Ya'ishu fil-Ajab. You know, they live in wonder. And, and, and that's the reality because this is an amazing place. And every day is a gift. Every day is extraordinary. And you don't want to spend it in these meaningless these meaningless pursuits that never satisfy. They never satisfy. You will never be satiated from these pursuits. The only thing that will satiate you, as a wise man once said, that God created a, a restless heart that will never rest until it rests in God. The heart has to find God. And, and this is why desire one of the beautiful Latin roots of that is desaria is of the heavens. Desire is put in us to seek the divine. And if you go to that downward trend, then you'll just keep going down and down and down until it's a bottomless pit. And, and, and actually, it does have a bottom, which is called Jehennam. And, and that Jehennam is, can be in this world because people live in these hellish, exist, you know, these hellish states of existence that are terrible. Or it can be a, a heavenly abode. One goes up and the other goes down. But God made gravity. You know, to, to go up is its effort. To go down is just easy. And that's why the Prophet said, Al-Jannatu Paradise is surrounded by difficult things. And he said, And the fire is surrounded by temptations and appetites. So this is, this is the way Allah has created. He wants to see us do mujahada. And the beauty of it is, is that human beings, whenever they do do mujahada, they feel better. If you do something, if you do a ma'asiyah, I guarantee you, you will always feel worse after it. It's just that's the way Allah's made it. If you backbite, you always feel, why did I do that? It's just it was it was just a wasted uh, breath, and and not only did it harm you, but it can harm other people too. If anything that you do that's forbidden, it will leave a bitter taste in your mouth, and and anything that you do that is is encouraged by God it always, there's a delight in completing that act of devotion. In fact, very often, it's, there's a sadness in that it's over because it was, it was so uh, beautiful to be in that. And so that really is, is uh, at the root of this problem, is this kind of boredom that people have, this inability just to sit with themselves and, uh, and better themselves. But there's another problem, and, and uh, this, is, this is a very serious problem, which is what are called the daughters. Uh, Imam al-Ghazali, even though, and I think, I think Aquinas, I don't know, because um, I, I haven't seen 
it might have been used before. But Aquinas uses the same word that Imam al-Ghazali uses, which are daughters. So just like virtues have daughters, so Imam al-Ghazali in his Mizan al-Amal, he has the virtues and then he has the Banat al-Fadail, the daughters of the virtues. And then you have the Radha'il, and then you have the Banat al-Radha'il, the daughters of the vices. So vices have daughters. And so the daughters of lust are really, really dangerous. One of them, there's eight daughters of lust that were identified. One of them is blindness of the, of the, of the, just the blindness of your mind. It's Amyan uh, al-Basira, where you, it puts out your Basira. And, and I was mentioning the last time that the inner eye is very sensitive. So if you're looking at these images, it's going to affect the inner eye. And the end of thoughtlessness, so ghafla, people, I guarantee you, the people that are engaged in these things, they go into a deep state of ghafla when they're in it. And so it will engender more thoughtlessness. And then inconstancy, you'll be inconstant in your practices. Uh, you won't have that, that rigor uh, in your practices. And then rashness, they're people that, um, they, they become people that are flighty and they, they don't have a kind of istiqrar or stability, which is related to, and, and they'll get uh, you know, angry easier. They'll be, because they're unsettled in their beings. They're unsettled in their being. And then self-love, which is very interesting because one of the things, if a man, and the, pornography, although it's increasingly becoming a female problem because traditionally it was much more of a male problem, but apparently now about 30% of pornography users are women. I mean, I, I don't know how accurate these stats are, but this, this is what I read in the literature. In any case, self-love, it, it's really a narcissistic kind of involvement. And it, if, you have a, if you, you have your wife and then you're watching these things and you, you enter into this unreal world where, where a real human relationship is, is breaking down for fantasies, literally waham, uh, like Ibn Atayullah says, ma qadaka shi'un uh, you know, people are, comp there's nothing that will lead people like uh, just waham, fantasy, illusion. So it's these pixelated images that aren't real. Uh, and, and people are watching these images and, and, and they have real human relationships that are breaking down because of these obsessions. I mean, this is a tragic situation, not to mention the children, because children will find out at a certain point. They're not, they're not stupid. Um, and, and then you're, how are you an exemplar for your child if, if they think this is what... I mean, alhamdulillah, you know, my father just hated, he really hated, because he saw it as a, just a low thing. You know, my father was a, he was a literary scholar and, and a professor of philosophy, and like he just saw it as a very low thing. But another thing which I find really strange is there's a character called a peeping Tom. And, and this is like a pervert. This is a person that goes to people's windows and will look in on them to see like somebody undress or see people being intimate. Essentially, you, you're making yourself a peeping Tom. 
you're watching other people in an act of, it's not even intimacy, it's whatever it is, it's just because it's, it's commercial, it's for, it's, you know, intimacy is a sacred thing, it's a beautiful thing, but this is something else. It's, it's, it's a total um, desecration of real intimacy. It's utter desecration of it. And so in, in viewing that, you are becoming a peeping Tom, essentially, which is, is a very unhealthy thing to be. So self-love and then love of the world, dunya, is one of the daughters of lust. Like it, it will cause love of dunya to grow in you. And don't forget, dunya is not love of this incredible creation that Allah has made. Dunya is love of this ephemeral, meaningless world. Hayatu dunya is all the things we're warned about. It's not the ocean. That's not dunya. That's alam. That's the world. And the world is a sign of God. So all these extraordinary things that Allah has made, that's not dunya. That's the alam. The dunya is, it's, it's this waham that exists, you know, stature and position and all these things. So all that will grow in your heart. And then abhorrence and despair of the future world. That's one of the daughters of lust. And that's why people that get into these things, very often they, they really start hating religion. And it will put in them a hatred of things sacred. Uh, and then finally, hatred of God. And this is all people, you know, people, people don't understand that these things are for our protection. These prohibitions. Tell the believing believers to lower their, tell them to, to lower their gaze and guard their private parts. Because the gaze is related to, it begins with gazing. That's where fornication, that's where it all begins. So Allah says, and then he says that that's azka. You know, it's purer for them. There's more, there's purity in that. So you're guarding your purity. I mean, I have five boys, so it concerns me a lot. And I always tell my boys to, to your hearts, guard your hearts. Just guard your hearts. You know, guard your hearts. You know, this is the, the hearing, the sight, and the hearts. Because hearing and sight, what you see and what you listen to, are inroads to the heart. And Allah has made you responsible for all three. So the heart, you have to guard your heart. You have to guard your heart. And and if you don't, you know, it's it's really... Terrible. And the Prophet, another thing, the Prophet ﷺ, he said that every son of Adam has nasibul minazina. They have a, uh, a certain amount of zina. And that was the word he used. Um, and zina generally means fornication or adultery. Like the Arabs in Arabic language, they, they, they say muhsan or ghair muhsan. But they don't differentiate, like in English, we differentiate between adultery, which is between married people, and, and fornication, which is between um, unmarried people. So uh, the, in, in Arabic, zina 
means fornication and adultery. It means both. But uh, the Prophet said, Mudrikun dharika la mahalata. He will uh, he will have that portion. The believer will have that portion. And then he said that the 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 zina of the the eye was looking, and the zina of the of the um, ear was hearing, and the zina of the tongue was speaking. In other words, looking lustfully, listening to uh, things that were lustful, uh, flirting or speaking lustfully. Um, and then he said, and the hand, he said, butch, which is, you know, the zina of the hand is butch, um, which is like touching lustfully, but he used a word, you know, which, which is a net very, it's usually a negative word in Arabic of the hand. And then he said, the zina of the foot is walking to that thing. And then he says, what the, the heart will desire, right? And, and then the, um, the, the, the genitals will either confirm or negate. So he, he, and that's why our, our prophetic teaching is consistent also with the teaching which the Christians have, because uh, it's Isa, it was reported that he said, that it was said of you of the people of old, this is in the New Testament, it is said of you the people of, the, of old, that uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look uh, unto a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's exactly what the Prophet was talking about, that there's, there's um, an adultery of the heart. You know? And so these are things that we just don't want to uh, destroy our, our hearts because we, the only things that are gonna be benefit you on the Day of Judgment on that day, nothing will avail the human being, neither women nor children, nothing will avail you except bringing God a sound heart. That's the only thing that will avail us. And so we have to guard the heart. One of the things that's really important to remember is, and, and I, I read a, you know, I really like this author, he's a modern author, but uh, his name's Cormac McCarthy. And uh, he, his famous book, and I think he's going to win the Nobel Prize. I predicted Dylan, so I'm predicting Cormac McCarthy, but, but at least he should. Um, he wrote a, a book called Blood Meridian, which is a terrifying book about evil. Um, he, he tends to be a metaphysical writer, but he wrote a, he wrote a screenplay, which I read, um, called The Counselor. And one of, one of the characters in there is, he's a lawyer called the counselor, and he never takes counsel. He's very arrogant, and, but he, 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 he basically, he, he gets into this deal where he's, he's going to get into a heroin deal and then retire. Well, there's this other character who is kind of warning him, like, you don't want to do this. And he asks him, have you ever seen a snuff film? And he says to him, no, have you? And he said, well, you do know that if you ever do watch a snuff film, you're complicit in murder because a product is only produced because of consumers. If there are no consumers, then the product isn't produced. And so every consumer is complicit in whatever 
harm the production of that product that they're consuming involves. And so people in this country that are taking drugs are complicit in all the murders and all these things that are happening down south. And the people that are watching pornography are complicit in sexual trafficking, in the exploitation of children because some of these girls are underage. Uh, they're complicit in child pornography because th the only reason, it's all one thing. So child pornography uh, is one branch of the overall pornographic industry. And on the dark web, apparently, a lot of these things uh, are uh, readily available. And so it's really important to think about that, that, you know, one of the things the Prophet ﷺ said is that a man will yuktabu jabaran a man will be written among the tyrants and the only dominion that he has is his own family. So you, you, you can literally be raised up with the worst tyrants and all you were was a tyrant in your family. So you could find yourself in the company of murderers and, and uh, sexual traffickers on the Day of Judgment because you were supporting them. You were the one that enabled them to do that. So it's just really important to just metaphysically expand your horizons and recognize just how, you know, how serious this, this, this is very serious stuff. And everybody wants to point fingers at everybody else. But I, the finger really needs to be, fusukum. you know, t take care of your own souls. Uh, that's that's what people should be much more concerned about their own states than about the states of others. I mean, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu uh, said that the the first thing that pe people leave is is the jihad of their own souls. Like everybody wants you know to change the world, and they're not willing to change themselves. It's a big problem. So I mean, there's a lot. This is a huge topic. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very serious uh, problem. Uh, apparently in the United States, they estimate that about 35 to 40 million people are actively engaged in watching pornography. And they think that the addiction levels are quite high. You know, and then we're looking at you know, people, um, several million that have these addictions. I mean, addiction is, you know, there's a very there's a big difference between a habit and an addiction and and I'm really I have a serious problem with the word addiction which is thrown around a lot as if it's removing moral agency from the person so a habitus is something that you it's become like a second nature and the more you do something the more that habitus is reinforced until it literally becomes your nature and so that's how it happens. It happens by doing something consistently and repeatedly until it becomes a habit. So I think it's better to look at these things as profoundly bad habits, as vicious habits, as vice, as opposed to addictions. The addiction is the idea somehow that you you know that that uh, you're helpless, and it's just simply not true uh, for most. I mean, there are definitely drug addictions because you're you're dealing and people argue well it's dopamine and it's very similar things but even 
drug addiction. There's people that give up drugs cold turkey overnight with, an, with real uh, spiritual uh, power. And, and many people have done it. And, and anybody can do it if they rely on God. If they rely on themselves, then Allah will leave them to themselves. But if they rely on God, Allah will not let them down. That's, that's an absolute truth. So the other thing I want to say is that inshallah next week, I, I have a really extraordinary interview with um, somebody who's just such a remarkable human being. There are actually two of them. I mean, Anthony Samadani is another really, really remarkable person who um, has quite, quite an interesting story. Um, he became very good friends with uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, with his, uh, his daughter, Meme. Um, and uh, learned a lot from Muhammad Ali, but he, he's a he, he's a uh, a lawyer and a um, somebody who's been involved really in spreading good news. But and then the other person is uh, Tobias Tubbs, who is one of the most remarkable people that uh, that I've met, and uh, I really hope people uh, benefit from uh, the some of the insights that the two of them uh, had to bring. And then I'm hoping inshallah, to have a discussion with my uh, first teacher in Islam, who was uh, Harun Sugic, who I actually said shahada with. And uh, uh, Sheikh Harun is a very interesting um, man who a uh, lot of people came to Islam through him, and I'm one of them. Um, and uh, so inshallah, he's, he's going to be visiting from Turkey. He lives in Turkey now, but... I'm hoping to interview him, inshallah, if that's possible. So, barakallah fikum. And I hope you um, you uh, hear um, Tobias and Anthony uh, next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.